So if you guys have your Bibles, and I really, really hope you do, open up to Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. To, to, for those, maybe this is your first time here, let me just try to help you maybe catch up to where we're at. We've been going through the, the book of Daniel, and what the method that I prescribe to when it comes to, to teaching God's Word or my attempt to teach God's Word is that we will go through a book of the Bible verse by verse, and, and we study it, and, um, and, and that's been our course since we started in October of 2013, and that will be the course that we take probably as long as we have that circle RH on the building. That's just the, the, the method for me. It's easier. It helps me stay on task, and it allows you guys to be able to prepare during the week, and I hope that you guys do. So we've been going through the book of Daniel. We spent, um, we've been in Daniel the last, 10 of the last 13 weeks, and we've gone, or actually 11 of the last 13 weeks. We've gone through verse by verse, and we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 10. And now Daniel is a f- fantastic book. To me, it's, it's one of my favorites in the Bible for a couple of reasons. One, when you look at the book of Daniel, the first um, six chapters, really it's, it's this kind of historical makeup. It, it's these stories that if you grew up in church, you're familiar with. Um, starting in, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's this young guy, probably 12, somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. Um, Israel has been captured, and the Babylonian Empire begins and, um, and King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonians, um, his method was he would take the cream of the crop, he would take the brightest of the, the nations that he would conquer, and he would bring them back to Babylon. And he would begin to indoctrinate them. He put them through this special schooling. And so we see that, that Daniel and, and three of his pals were part of the group that was brought from Jerusalem over to Babylon. And in there, we see that, that Daniel gets a new name. And actually, with this, this morning, when we get to our, our scripts that we're going to be studying, he references that name. He gets a Babylonian name. He, he goes to this Babylonian schooling, new education. Um, they begin to take away their heritage and try and replace it with this Babylonian thought. Um, and everything was okay until they tried to change his diet. And once they did that, Daniel stopped. One of my favorite verses, honestly, Miss Kay, I'm not lying. One of my favorite verses um, in at least the Old Testament, if not all the Bible, is, is Daniel 1.8. And I love it. it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. Like that's strong language. And I, I love this, that, 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 that feeling like, that everything's going okay and he can, he can work and bend in some location. But when it came to something that revolved around his faith, Daniel said no. And when he said no, we see it as this young guy away from his family in a foreign land. He's held captive. And he says no. And Daniel purposed in his heart. And we see this purpose played out through the entire book of Daniel. To me, that's why I think Daniel 1.8 is one of those key verses of the entire book of Daniel. And he'll prove true to that purpose. And so he, he has this agreement, and he says, give me just a few days where I can try this. Me and my buddies, let us have this little vegetarian diet. Let us drink water, you know, eat green beans, and then you test us. Compare us to the rest of these guys in the schooling. And so they do that, and, and it comes out that Daniel and his friends are, are far out, surpass the rest of the kids in, in the schooling. And so for the remainder of their, their time in school, they're allowed to maintain the same diet. 
At the end of that, it's, it's amazing. At the end of that, this, all the, the graduating class would go before King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he would, he would compare the students, but not only just the students, but he would compare them to, to the guys that were already in his wise men group. And Daniel and the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would prove to be ten times stronger than the rest. And so God blessed them. And, and one of the things that we see in Daniel, the book of Daniel, it, like, it starts, every chapter tends to start in this like, low point. Right? Like there's something bad going on, a, a tough situation. And then it goes up to this high point where we see the faithfulness of God. And then chapter 2 rolls up, and it's another low point. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. Mind you, King Nebuchadnezzar hadn't been king very long. And as he becomes king, his dad had passed, and he, he had acquired all of his dad's inner circle. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has his dream in Daniel chapter 2. And in this dream, he doesn't understand what it is. So he calls in his top inner circle of wise men. And he, he tells these guys, listen, I need you guys to tell me what my dream was and then what it means. And so they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa king, you tell us what the dream was, and then we'll tell you what it means. And the king says, no, it's not the way it's going to work. You need to tell me what the dream was and then tell me what it means. And if you can't, I'm going to kill all of you. And not just you guys here, I'm, I'm going to kill all the wise men. And so they turn to the king, and they said, king, this is impossible. No one's been asked to do this. They can't give an answer. And so they begin to make preparations to kill all the wise men. In Daniel chapter 2, we see that the, the head executioner ends up going to the house of Daniel. I mean, knocks on the door and says, hey, Daniel, uh, you're needed. Daniel, this is Chad's paraphrase. Daniel says, what's the problem? He goes, well, the wise men couldn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar the dream or what it meant, and so you're all going to die. It's not a welcome. That's not the, 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 the knock on the door that we want to receive. And so Daniel asks, what's the rush? And so he says, um, to Daniel says to this head, head executioner, let, let, let me go and speak with the king, and I believe I can tell the king what his dream was and what it meant. And so Head executioner goes and talks to the king. As he does that, Daniel, interesting, we see this again, this characteristic of Daniel all throughout the chapter, or all throughout the book. He goes, gets the rest of his buddies together, and guys, listen, we gotta pray. We gotta pray that God tells us what the dream is and what it means. And so they hunker down, they pray, and it works out where King Nebuchadnezzar sees Daniel. Daniel tells him this dream. It's a dream that would start, would begin with, with the Babylonian Empire, and it is continuing still to this day. That's where we get our first taste of prophecy. Daniel chapter 3, uh, one of those other familiar stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Remember, uh, there's this, this idol that's made, and the king wants everybody to bow to this idol. And if they don't, they're going to get tossed in this furnace. And so it comes time to bow to this idol, and everybody bows to the idol except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they get tossed into this furnace. It was so hot that the guards that were taking them to the furnace end up dying. King Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the fire, and he, rather than seeing the three guys, he notices that there's four. And not a hair in the body of those three young men is hurt. And we believe that that fourth person there in the fire with them was Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 4, we fast forward to the fourth chapter, and, and here Daniel kind of steps away, and the fourth chapter is written by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
It's this autobiography, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar talks about how, um, how, how he became so prideful. And Daniel, he has this vision. Again, he calls Daniel. Daniel gives him the vision and says, listen, because of your pride, um, you're going to go insane. And so he, no, 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 no. And time passes, and the king finds himself out on the porch, and he's bragging about how great his kingdom and how great of a job he did as a king. And then suddenly, he remembers that prophecy that Daniel gave him, that vision that Daniel had. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar loses his sanity. The Bible tells us that, that he acted like an animal. And it's interesting, I, I believe this, and when we preached him, I, we talked about it. I, I said, I believe there's a good good chance that when we get to heaven, we'll see King Nebuchadnezzar. Because in that, as he's acting like an animal, the Bible tells us that he finally turned his eyes towards heaven and acknowledged God. Daniel chapter 5, we see Nebuchadnezzar had passed, and his grandson is now the king. And, and he, Babylon, always a wicked nation, but, but the leadership had become even more wicked the king is holding this party, and it's this gigantic orgy to the point where he takes these relics that had been in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar brought back from, from Jerusalem when they had captured it, and he brought that, and they began to use these as utensils in this party. And finally, there's this handwriting on the wall, and Daniel is called upon to tell him what this handwriting means. And the handwriting on the wall was basically this idea that Babylon was about to fall. And as this is occurring, the Persians began to come into the Babylonian empire and conquer Babylon, the greatest nation, according to this dream that, that the king had, had fallen. And that brought in this, this new empire. The, the Babylonians now were conquered by this Persian empire. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. The Persian Empire is in charge. And Daniel now is, is still held captive. But yet God continues to place him in positions. Places him in areas in which he can have influence. And at this time now, Daniel is, is, is much older. He's no longer this 12, 15-year-old boy. He's, he's probably in his mid to late 80s, maybe as old as 90 years old. And he has this vision. And this vision that we're going to begin talking about today, and really today's more kind of a groundwork for the next two weeks, but from chapter 10 through chapter 12 is the final vision. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to try and dig into this morning. Lord, I pray that you, um, in the next few moments, that you allow um, your word to ring true. God, I pray that that you give me your thoughts, give me your heart, your passion. Uh, God, take away all of my own thoughts and beliefs. And God, may this morning, may your word, may it maybe be your word, your scripture that we're going to be reading, may that be what grips our heart. May that be what causes life change in us today. God, I, I humbly come before you and before our church admitting that prophecy is not an area that I feel comfortable in. There's a lot of stuff that we have discussed in Daniel. And there's a lot more to come that 
quite honestly, I don't, I don't get. And so, God, we ask that you help us. The Bible tells that if we lack wisdom, to ask for it, and we'll receive it. So this morning, God, we ask for wisdom. I ask that you begin to melt our hearts. And I ask that you allow true, genuine life change to occur today in me and possibly those here. We love you, and we're so thankful for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all the things you will do. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. So Daniel chapter 10. What we're going to do is we're going to read a few verses, and I'm going to do my best to just kind of try and stop. And, and this morning, my hope is that we can pull a few things from this passage that, that will be helpful to us today, while also highlighting some things that quite honestly, are amazing. Uh, one of these, some of these verses that we're going to read today, I think, are some of the most amazing verses, like mind-boggling verses in Scripture. And so, um, so we're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best not to muddy the waters too much, all right? So here we go. Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the visions, of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Uh, I think when we get to this first section, I, I, we need to understand some of what's going on here. So the Bible tells us in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, if you were to go back and read Ezra chapter 1, we realize um, in the first reign of Cyrus, um, he decrees that the Jews can return back home to Israel. Um, if, if you recall last week, we talked in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 um, is an amazing chapter. In our review, we didn't really talk much about it, but the first 19 verses of Daniel chapter 9, you have this passionate prayer of Daniel where he's just begging God. I mean, he, he falls on his face, and he's just praying to God. He, he's overstruck. He had been reading the scripture. He had been reading his Bible, the scriptures that he had there, Jeremiah. And he realized that, that this Jeremiah had prophesied that, that Israel would be captured for 70 years. And he understood that those 70 years were about to end. And so he's praying to God. And in the midst of his prayer, Gabriel the angel, the same angel, angel that came to, to Zechariah that told him about John the Baptist, the same angel who would come to, to marry the mother of Jesus, comes to Daniel. And, and he comforts him, he encourages him, and then he gives him some more knowledge. And so while Daniel's consumed and, and, and what drove him to prayer was his 70 years of, of captivity, God takes this and begins to expand it and, and some of the largest, most in-depth prophecy in all of the scriptures is found in Daniel 9, 20 through the end of the chapter, through the end of that book, through 27, really verse 24 through 27. It's called the 70 weeks. In the beginning, that first week, and, and we, last week I told you that week is not like our calendar today, but it would be years. And so that first section of time that he talked about was this age in which the the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. But Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, 
tells us that the king, King Cyrus, decrees. And so Ezra takes people back to Jerusalem. But this is what's crazy. At this time, during Daniel's prayer right here, there, there are not just thousands, but there, there are millions of Jews that are captives. And when they're given the opportunity to go back home, out of captivity, back to Jerusalem, only about 40,000 choose to leave. They've been held captive for 70 years, but they had gotten so complacent and so comfortable in their situation that they didn't want to leave. And so Ezra takes this remnant, this small group, and he goes back to attempt to rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel, although probably retired, still has the ability to, to, to be involved in some of the correspondence. And so in this time, he knows that, that these Jews have been back home for two to three years. But in those two to three years, they had accomplished very little. There was a lot of struggle going on. In fact, the best they had did with, were able to accomplish when it came to the temple was basically just the foundation. And rather than relying on God, or rather than turning to God, they became focused on themselves. And so Daniel, here, chapter 10, he, he, he's hearing this news and he's seeing this and he knows what's going on. He knows about the people, the Jews that had left to go back home, but then not only that, but he's, he's, he's still in Babylon and he sees all those rest that are, are still remain captive. And he sees how far they've gotten from God. What's interesting is if we were to spend some time this morning and look at the book of Esther. The book of Esther occurs about 50 years after this situation here. And I would encourage you maybe sometime this week to go and read the book of Esther after reading this chapter. And what's to me is, is, is sad to see. You guys realize that Esther is the only book in the entire Bible that does not mention the name God. It's the only book. You have this people that had turned away from God. They had, in many accounts, forgotten their God to the point where God's not even mentioned in the book, but yet the king is mentioned 192 times. And so this first section here, those first two verses, we, we get this sense that, that Daniel is looking down the road. God has given him these visions. He's seen all these, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 2, these, these visions. And, and Daniel has seen forward. He knows all these things that are about to occur. And he's broken. My question for us this morning is this. Have we in our own lives looked down the road? Like, like have we taken those moments to stop and be still and reflect on our own personal lives, our own personal journeys to see where we are going for those of us who are parents, this morning was awesome. We had a chance to, to dedicate a young child. As parents, are we taking those moments to stop and look down the road 
How are we as parents training our children? How am I as a spouse, as a husband? Are we taking time to look down the road? A little bit further here, we start back up in verse 2. It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, which is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. Let's just pause here for a second before we get into this awesome vision that he has. So Daniel's looked down the road in his life. He, he knows where his nation is heading. He's broken over it. And so the result of that is he begins to take action. He, he goes, and what you see there, he's in the midst of this fast. Now, I don't know if it was, doesn't say it was a full fast where he wasn't eating at all, but, but he was depriving himself of some stuff. And not only that, but it says he was on the Tigris, on the bank of the Tigris. Now, to us, maybe we look at it and we're like, what? okay, so he's by a river. No big deal, right? That was about 50 miles from where he lived. Um, Daniel didn't have a Cadillac. He wasn't able to go hop in the car in 25 minutes for some of us, 30 minutes for the rest, or 45 minutes for us to go 50 miles, right, and hop out and pray. Here you have an 85 to 90-year-old man who travels 50 miles. He has been fasting, and the Bible tells us he was mourning. He was mourning. He was broken because he, he, he looked, he saw down the road, and he realized the people had turned from God. They, they, that God was an afterthought in their lives. He was mourning over sin. Daniel chapter 9, the very beginning, those first 19 verses, as he goes, it wasn't like Daniel just goes, listen, all these people are sinning. No, he goes before God and says, we, I, forgive me of my sins. This morning, as, as we contemplate Daniel, as we maybe consider looking down the road, let me ask you this. Are we mourning over sin? I mean, are we truly broken over this? I, I, I read a, if I can find it in my notes here, which I probably can't. Yeah, here we go. I read a great quote this last week from Edmund Burke. He said this a long time ago. He goes, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Read that one more time and, and catch this. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. As we look at Daniel and his situation in life, and we, we think of Israel, and these visions, understand, these, these visions that we'll see, the visions here in this chapter through 12, the vision of chapter 9 and 8 and of before, those were visions and prophecies for Israel. But the same struggles that Israel fought, the same things that caused Israel to be tripped up and fall, we wrestle with today. 
There's a lot of, of, of similarities. We don't have to dig too deep, do we, to talk about areas in which we see this moral decline in our country, do we? I mean, it's all, I mean we turn on the news, and within 30 seconds there's, there's something. I was talking with Justin's dad before the service. How, how sad is it that we live in a time where it seems to be that more people are upset with the death of a lion than with all that's going on with Planned Parenthood? How, how, how tragic is that? that? That we are okay with thousands upon thousands, and folks, let's be real, millions of innocent children that, as we've seen in videos that have been released, that not all, but we've seen these occasions when they've done this to, quote-unquote, harvest specimens. But yet, what seems to have turned now is we're so captivated with the death of this lion. Um, I'll be honest with you, I I was so angry the other day as I watched the clip of something. And and, and in many regards, we say, or people say, God bless, and it's just a stamp. It's like saying hi, it's like saying bye, it's like whatever. And I listened, and and folks, this, when we get to this idea of of sanctity of life, of issues like this, this is not political. This is not Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. It's none of that garbage. I could care less what your political persuasion is. I don't care. But I listened to um, our president defend Planned Parenthood. And at the end, he said, thank you, Planned Parenthood. God bless. And my soul, my stomach was so tight because God will not bless that. God will not bless it. But this is a sign. This is an example of our society. This is where we're at. And folks, like Edmund Burke said, evil will triumph if good men do nothing. And Daniel, in his day, he saw it. He saw what was going on. He saw the people turning from God. And he realized, like what he would see in Esther, that he was one generation away where the faith was nothing but lip service. And it caused Daniel to be broken, to, to begin to fast, to give up things, and just turn on his face and pray to God, to travel 50 miles away and to pray. And as he's broken... And as he's crying out to God, something amazing happens. Verse 5 says, And I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So Daniel, in the midst of crying out to God, something grabs his attention. He looks up and he sees this, and he describes this thing that he sees. Now listen, keep your finger there, but if you go back in your Bible to the last book of the Bible, into Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, Verse 13, 
And, and if you recall, John has received this revelation from God. And so John himself has received it. So we get in verse, thir- verse 13 says, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. Sounds very similar to what Daniel saw, doesn't it? Now, there is debate, and and folks, I I can't tell you with great certainty, but, but my personal belief is this, that what Daniel saw there was, was Jesus. Now the debate becomes a little bit later on, we see that there's this call for help. If it was Jesus, he wouldn't need help, but I, my belief is that, that Jesus isn't the one single character referred to in the story that another angel will arrive. But John, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe John sees Jesus Verse 7 says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And so as Daniel is seeing this vision, there's this great disturbance. And those who were with him around him, they, they, they felt it, and so they ran. They hid. This reminds me much of, of Saul on his road to Damascus when he receives that vision of Christ. The light comes, and, and nobody around him sees it. They can just hear it. And so Daniel receives this vision. And as he receives this vision, he's all by himself. And I think that, I think when we look at that and we consider that, that teaches us something. I mean, mean, sometimes, oftentimes, at least in my own experience, when when God tends to reveal something to me or or, or inspire me, it's in those moments by myself with him. When I'm away from everything else, it's in that quiet time alone with God, bathed in prayer. That God typically shows up then to reveal, to show, to give wisdom, to give direction. And that's the case here with Daniel. Verse, verse 10. A quick side note. I don't know how we're going to finish this chapter today, but we're going to try. Notice the way he responds when he sees Jesus. You know, today I think sometimes we get so comfortable that we have lost the awe of God. You know, it's pretty amazing throughout Scripture when you see people and they interact, when they see, when they have these visions of God, Isaiah and Ezekiel, John the Baptist in, in Revelation, that when they come before God, they are almost instantaneously fall to their face, fall on their knees. Like they're, they're trembling because he's so amazing. He's so awesome. But yet we can become so flippant with it. 
All right, verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me. And this is where I believe we see a new angel arriving. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when we have spoken his word, and when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from, this, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Verse 13, And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. And so Daniel feels this hand on him, this touch, and he stands up, and this angel says, Listen, from the moment you spoke your prayers, I heard you. God heard you. And he sent me. This is where I think verse 13, I think God lowers the scales of our earthly eyes and allows us to see something. Hard sometimes to imagine. Verse 13, when it says there, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And so this angel, and we don't know who the angel is. Uh, Many will say it was probably Gabriel. Gabriel was a messenger. But, but this angel was sent. But we see this picture now of the spiritual warfare going on. In this, those few verses, I, I think that we're, we're able to see that, that angels are real. Angels are not to be worshipped. We're not to pray to the angels. But angels are real. And this angel was sent in the midst on his way to to Daniel. Something happens. He's caught here. It talks about the prince of Persia. This wasn't an actual human being. This is the bad angels. The Bible tells us that when Lucifer, one of the three archangels mentioned, when he fell, He took approximately one-third of the angels with him. And so we have this picture of of spiritual warfare. And sometimes when we hear this, we see this. Guys, I'm I'm guilty of this too. Um, I think, wow, there's just a bunch of cuckoos out there that talk about this stuff. As we've talked about prophecy, I told you before, you want to see some some weirdos, go on YouTube and YouTube prophecy, and there'll be all sorts of wackos out there. And sometimes when we get to these kind of things, it's not comfortable. We can't literally see it. And so I don't know. Again, real quickly, go back in your Old Testament. 2 Kings. I think this is a cool story. We're not going to read the whole thing, but if you were to read 2 Kings chapter 8, or 2 Kings 6, verse 8 through 17, there's this story, okay? And so um, there's this tension going on between uh, the king of Syria and Israel. I'll just go ahead and read real fast. 
Verse 8 says, And once when the king of Syria was warning against Israel, he took up counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, which is Elisha, sent word out to the king, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. This happened several times. Verse 11, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to him, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. And he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. All right, so Elisha about to be captured. Verse 15 says, And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So this is Elisha's servant. He goes outside to get water, whatever it is, realizes they're surrounded by an army. He's like, what should we do, Elisha? Probably not that calm. And he says, Elisha's response is, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So he says, don't worry. It's not a big deal. All right? Verse 17, and check this out. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the, eye, so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So here we have this servant of Elisha's, and he's freaking out. And Elisha just says, don't worry, man. God's got this under control. All he sees are these chariots of the Syrian empire though, going to conquer him, and Elisha sees everything else. And so he prays to God and says, God, open his eyes, let him see. And the servant sees. We realize that the enemy is real, guys. And there is spiritual warfare going on. We read about it in the Old Testament. We read about it in the New Testament. We, we see it played out in history. And we understand that, that angels have influence in human affairs. But understand, they cannot control God. God and Jesus are more powerful. It's interesting, I, I think, that um, as we see this played out shortly towards the end of this particular chapter, the angel says to Daniel, I got to get back to the battle. He left the prince of Persia, this demonic angel who had influence with the Persian Empire. And notice, let me see, if we go down to verse 20, it says, But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. That next empire, the thing that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 2 in the statue, the thing he saw again in Daniel chapter 8 and again, or and again in Daniel chapter 9. And it tells us that these 
demonic angels have influence, have control. If you were to read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness, and the devil himself tries to tempt Jesus. He offers him bread and offers him all these things. And one of the things that he does is he takes Jesus on top of the mountain, and he says to Jesus, listen, um, I'll give you authority over all the nations because it's been given dominion to me. And you know what? Jesus never argues that, does he? He doesn't. Because the reality is this. It has been given to them. But as we fast forward, as we, in the next few weeks, next week we'll be getting Daniel chapter 11, and Daniel chapter 11 holds about 370 prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Daniel chapter 12 is the end of this chapter. As we get into this last two chapters that we'll talk about those last seven years of tribulation. The awesome thing is this. We know who wins the battle. We know who wins the war. We know who will come out victorious. That's Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We watched a video at the beginning and it talked about some of our faith. This morning, I don't know where you're at. You may have, have come today not knowing Jesus. You, you came because a friend dragged you to. You came maybe out of curiosity. You, whatever. There's a thousand reasons that may have caused you to come. But the reality is, like, you know that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, like, he said, all right, let's take away, let's, let's get down to the foundation. Let's get down to ground level. Let's, let's, let's wipe away everything. Let me just make this pure, simple. Let's take away all the debate. There's one way. I'm going to make it simple. You don't have to worry about looking and investigating. You don't have to worry about trying to find a path. I'm going to make it simple. There's one way. It's through Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amazing to, to think that we have the ability, as we talk about prayer, that we have the ability to sit at the feet of Christ, the one who sacrificed himself on a cross for you and for me. That we have the ability to go to him, to talk to him. Are we looking down the road in our lives? Are we mourning sin in our lives? And have we accepted the gift that Christ has prepared for us in this life and the blessings to come? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for, for everything that you've done for us. Father, I, I pray that you... Um,
that you work today in all of my inadequacies, that you allow your scripture to shine, that your word is the one that convicts. And Daniel, you told him to stand strong and be of good courage. In the midst of this spiritual warfare, how we read about in Ephesians 6, and Paul describes this armor of God. The reality is God. If we're not prepared, if we're not suited up, then we can't withstand the fight. We can't stand firm. In our own lives, Lord, if we go a few hours without nourishment, we get fussy. There's no way we could live physically by only gaining food once a week. If that's the case with us physically, it's no different with us spiritually. God, break us to become people like Daniel that spend time reflecting and looking down the road, looking where their lives are projecting. Help them to understand the things that are important and the things that aren't. Lord, help us to be broken over sin in our own lives first. Help us to be the people who, who stand. And then, Lord, if there's some this morning that have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, may today be that day. It's in your Son's beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen.